This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ. Hello and welcome to Money Beat Week. This is Steve Grosser with Paul Vigna, Steve Russo, and Sarah Krauss. This week we'll be talking about excitement back in the market. And Paul will try not to talk about the Fed after this. Life's full of little victories. Like beating your personal best 5K time. Hitting platinum in hotel and airline points. Or scoring a reservation at that hot new restaurant. And everyone is worth celebrating with a victory lap in your Cadillac. Which is running smoothly thanks to the Cadillac certified service experts. Now, here's something new to celebrate. Cadillac has just received the J.D. Power Award for highest in customer satisfaction with dealer service among luxury brands. So when it comes to dealer service, there's Cadillac and there's everyone else. For a limited time, get a $100 mail-in rebate debit card and a set of four select brand name tires. See participating U.S. Cadillac dealer for eligible tire brands and details. Rebate form must be postmarked by 11-30-14. Allow 68 weeks for delivery of debit card. Offer ends 10-31-14. For J.D. Power award information, go to jdpower.com. For once, after an August that was so, so quiet... We we are getting a lot more excitement is back in the markets, especially. Ooh, can someone explain to me what happened on Wednesday? Oh my to, God, Wednesday was insane. Dow down as much as four hundred and sixty points in the morning. Remember the, the market opened. The market was open a couple of minutes and it was down three seventy. And, uh, and that wasn't even what we were paying attention to. Yeah. That was a secondary thing. That was, that's right. That was a secondary tenure. thing. To, yeah, the treasury market was just having some really huge moves. A couple of people described it as a flash crash afterwards. I don't know if I'd go quite as far as a flash crash, but it was pretty. The, uh, I, the, 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 the underlying point is that the move was so sharp. You had a ten year yield was at two two two. Three uh, that that morning, and then it went down to below, not only below two, but below one nine, about one eight five one eight five eight one eight five eight. Yeah, I mean that's in the treasury market, and then it came right back. Yeah, that is a huge move in the treasury. The the crazy thing about treasuries uh, that day on Wednesday was watching them trade. And if you had your your screen up with all your you know stock charts and everything, watching the the yield move. Almost as fast as stocks were moving. I mean, it was like Treasury yields don't they? They tick, and then they tick, and then you might see a tick again. You know, they were moving boom, 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 boom. I mean, it was moving like I know it's a live market. It was moving like a live, fast-paced market. You you uh, yeah. rarely, rarely see it move like that. We're going. It's like it was like two o three, two o two, two o. Right. It's below right. two. I mean, right. it was it was like almost like we we're in auctioneers. And, you know, the weird thing about all these moves, and it, they've been well-documented already, all these big triple-digit swings on the Dow and these 1% or 2% move in, moves in the S&P is that there really is not any single catalyst that's driving all this right now. It's sort of just a lot of things that are— I disagree, are, but— 
Well, you go on. You go on. <laughs> I think it's a lot of things that are driving the action right now. You have fears of deflation, not only low inflation, but fears of actual deflation in Europe. You have uh, concerns about just growth everywhere around the world. Uh, there, there are so many different things that are going on that are sort of all adding up here. You have the end of Fed stimulus that I know Paul is going to talk about a lot on this podcast. Right. Uh, and, and, and to be honest, I mean, you know, we, we give Paul a hard time all the time. But I mean, it is the underlying, you know, thing that the markets have to face. I mean, every time, I mean, people, we've pointed this out many times on the podcast, every time the, the Fed ends a QE program, the market has a big pullback. Yeah. I, I just, and what is this month? I don't, I don't even think it's very complicated. I mean, the, since the crash, the market has gone up. When the Fed's instituted a QE program and it's gone down when the Fed hasn't had one in place. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy. This is the last month of QE. Everyone knew it was coming. They've been tapering, 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 tapering. The one thing I think it, it makes it different is that in the market, yes, they knew the, the Fed was going to get out of QE. QE3 was going to end. They're still keeping rates low. I mean, the rates are still at zero. But everyone thought that the Fed's going to step out of the QE game, and someone is going to step in. It's going to be the ECB. It's going to be the Bank of Japan. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone really thought that the Bank of England really, could do it. They talked about the Bank really of China. It was really the ECB. You're right. You're, you're right. Mean, it was really the ECB. I mean, the, the Japan, Japan's been doing all it can for a long while. And it's point. not getting very far. No. What changed this? What changed? Inflation. What changed this month was you had a couple of ECB meetings. You had a policy meeting. You had speeches from Draghi. You had a couple of instances where ECB officials were in the public eye outlining what they were going to do, and none of it matched the expectations. All of it was disappointing. And as Europe slides closer and closer to a recession, the German numbers get worse and worse. The periphery is the periphery. It's never been very strong. You started to get this sense that the ECB was not going to be able to back up the words that Draghi said two years ago that we will do whatever it takes. Well, and while he was speaking specifically about saving the euro, that became a general idea that the ECB was going to do something to save Europe. And now they don't think it's going to happen. And they look, the Fed's getting out of it. And all of a sudden, this idea that there is this universal central bank put that is going to save the markets no matter what – is is fading? Does he? Can he breathe at one point? <laughs> I, now, like the real. I well, mean, if, if I breathe, you're going to have a chance well, to come in and contradict <laughs> me. So I'm just going to keep going. The other thing that Paul is, you know, missing here is, and I think this is actually a key point in this, in in, in it's actually in agreement with Paul, but it is that there was sort of a meme that got out there. I think in the, sort of the end of August, beginning of September, that Germany was becoming more open, more welcoming. To, yes. Um, the ECB buying government bonds. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. That's and a then big a couple one. Yes. of weeks ago, you know, the German finance minister was on. Uh, you know, gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal yeah, publication, yeah. and basically threw a lot of cold water yes. on that notion. Right, you're right. And, That's and, that is the key thing. And, and he does. And, he, and 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 the other thing too is the other members of the ECB seem to. You know, he seems to have some support for this. The idea that you know. Uh, you know, buying government bonds, given how low you know b- yields on bonds are already, and you know, or interest rates are on you know uh, g- you know bonds across Europe, is going to have little effect on the economy and boosting the economy and you know getting uh, Europe out of a sort of the fear of deflation. Right. 
Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You're absolutely right because that's why the ECB's comments were disappointing because they couldn't come out and say we're going to do a full-blown QE by government bonds because the Germans – they're not going to allow it. Now, the other thing people are saying is that, well, let's see what happens when Germany is really in the fire. Let, let's see how fast they hold to their principles. You know, okay, maybe. People are saying next year that the, the Germans will fold and they will let the ECB go ahead and do a full-blown QE. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see when it happens. But right now, they are not going to allow it. And the markets are being roiled by this, and you saw it yesterday. And I think, I think, Steve, that the turnaround yesterday started before those Bullard comments. I think you know the the bottom had been hit. Oil crossed under eighty, but it held that eighty line. That was a key line. But then the Bullard comments came out that oh, maybe we'll extend QE. Really? Maybe we'll extend. You know, maybe we'll extend just a couple of months. And that was all the market needed. It was all the excuse they needed, all the protection, all the cover to. Well, I, I would disagree with that because the market essentially finished flat on Thursday after the Bullard comments, and the but it was down two hundred. Opened down two hundred. Well, the day before that, it was down four sixty and finished down one seventy. And then you're getting the big rally on Friday. But let, yeah. let me let me give you some numbers here, though. So the Dow, Dow and S P five hundred and Nasdaq all hit highs, fifty two week highs uh, in September. Okay. The Dow on a peak to trough basis, so it's it's big the biggest it's biggest drop intraday intraday right. Oh, this is on a closing basis. This is on closing six point seven percent for the Dow, S and P five hundred seven point four percent, Nasdaq eight point three percent, and the biggest one is the the small cap Russell two thousand down thirteen percent for the Russell. That's that's back from its March high. Okay, so a six percent decline, a seven percent decline, eight percent, and thirteen percent decline. The market is supposed to have these ten percent pullbacks. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. supposed. To, they typically happen once a year. The market hasn't had one in three years now. So everyone and us included, we're putting this all, all this market turmoil, and I put turmoil in quotes, but uh, we're putting it on the front page of the paper on multiple days now. And we're not the only ones. CNBC is blasting this twenty four seven, and we've been live blogging it. We've Money Beat has been live blogging this thing. I mean, everybody's making a huge, huge deal about it. But really, should we be? I mean, I think that is a very valid question right now because if you think about it the the markets were so calm so these moves look magnified because the markets were so calm for the past few years but historically this is actually really not that much on a percentage basis well, compared to what typically happens i will say there are two things that i would agree i, I generally agree with you i mean I, I i actually think you know i think there's a strong argument and i think you know most strategists and traders would probably agree with this that a 10 percent, 20 percent you know pullback in this market is not a bad thing. You know, valuations are getting high, you know, across the world. I mean, this would sort of reset things, get valuations better if you believe in, you know, I've said this before on the show, if you believe that there's going to be a secular bull market that's going to continue, you need probably some of this reset. The other, the, but the other thing, though, I think that, in, and this gets back to what, the, what we're talking about, the Treasury. The Treasury was what I think got a lot of people, you know, made it feel a little bit different than the market because it was such, a, you know, a dramatic pullback in, 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 in the yield on the 10-year, um, you know, at the same time. But that, that, well, that's, it's, that's it's, and the bond market yeah. is always supposed to be the smart market, look, look, right? Yeah. The, the yeah. thing of it is, it, if it was just equities, I'd agree with you. It's not just equities and it's not just U.S. equities. But oil it's, prices it's, down it's, 24% is a good thing. 
Why is that not? Someone explain but, to me but, why that is not. A oil good prices thing. down that fast, that that sharply, that fast in such a short period of time. That's that's got to tell you that something is changing fundamentally, and the reason it's not well, yeah a, the oil market the, is the whole energy market is changing yeah, fundamentally the, the, for, for the good. Well, what's it, the downside to all that? The, the downside is if you've got an economy that is heavily dependent on the energy industry, like say. Uh, Canada, Australia, or even the United States, and that industry goes in the tank, you suddenly have a big problem with your economic growth picture. If you have an industry that has gotten heavily leveraged because they've been issuing bonds because debt's so cheap, predicated on the idea that they can run their business with oil at $190 and suddenly it's at 70 you have a lot of problems. I mean, it's, yes, hey, listen, I have a car, I drive, like, Gas is two seventy nine around me. I'm happy about it, but it's not. It's not as easy as saying, "Oh, low oil prices means low gas, and that's a good thing." By and by, but you, I agree with Paul. It's it's a, it's a little bit of complicated, but it's much more complicated but, than that. I will not go as far as oh, Paul. but wait, 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 wait. It, Let it me is, finish it, my it, thought. It, Let me finish my thought. The, what's going on in the market is not just equities. It is everything is turning, and some of them are turning and falling very sharply, very fast. That is. That illustrates that there is a problem in the markets. That's why this stuff is important. That's why we live blog it. That's why it belongs on the front page of but the paper. The Dow is up about 300 points Friday afternoon, and we'll, we'll see where it finishes. But, you know, you get another day like this next week on Monday or Tuesday, and you get right back to record yeah. highs. We're going to be looking back at this and saying this was just another one of those pullbacks this it's, year. You're and 100% so, right. And, and this always happens around earnings season. Yeah. And, too. and we, we get all hot and bothered about, a you know, in the past, it's been a 4 to 6% pullback. Okay, let's call this one an 8% pullback, so a little bit more. But at the end of the – now, I could be totally wrong. Let's say the market goes down 15% next week, and then, and then we're talking about something. But – you know, let's say the rally Friday's rally continues though. I mean, we're then talking about this in the context of oh, that's just another pullback that we all made a huge big deal about that really at the end well, of the day it's just a minor Again, pullback. I think the thing of it is what's what's really important right now is not what happens here, it's what happens in Europe. Europe is is the key. Europe is a story. China is key. China is a story. China is slowing down. China has given Europe a lot of money. They've bought a lot of stuff. It's a big trading partner. China slows down. Europe slows down. You know, th- those are the stories. What happens here is not as much of a... Listen, what happens here is a big story for us because we're here. But if you're looking at this in terms of global markets, those are the fundamental stories. And there is a big problem in the global economy I guess right now. Your point being that the U.S. is holding up better than the, than the other economies, but well, if the other economies keep faltering. Seemingly we are. Let's see what happens. If the other economies have, falter, you know, they could well, spill over. Well, if the could, other economies falter and China's in the tank, Japan's in the tank, France, Germany, Europe are all in the tank, and in the United States, the Federal Reserve is pulling back from QE3 and raising interest rates and, and effectively tightening policy. How strong, and I keep saying this, you guys don't want to listen to me, how strong is this economy? Can it stand on its own two feet? Generally speaking, too, it's it's also not the slowing of. I, I think like we're overplaying, not overplaying, but it's not just the slowing growth. It is actually the fact that in uh, parts of this co- in the uh, world are going to face deflation, and right. they're going to have central banks. That and if you are holding Paul, debt, Paul, 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 yes, and it cannot, <laughs> it cannot deal, you know, with it. You have an ECB that probably cannot f- fight deflation. You have a ch- the Chinese central bank probably has in 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 in. 
China only has to like if it gets down to sort of two percent, it doesn't even have to get into deflation. If inflation in China falls to like the sort of two percent or below level, that's problematic. But they don't want to you know um, you know cr- you know provide too much stimulus because that's going to you know they're worried about a housing market getting in you know too much credit overheating again. They're they're just removed in sort of dealing with that. So I mean you have. The specter of deflation and slowing growth is a real. I mean, is 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 a, is a is something that the U.S. can't inoculate itself from. It might have been, been able to survive slow growth around the world. You know, deflation and slow growth, I think, would be a more complicated. Yeah, picture. And, and deflation is great if you don't hold assets, don't have debt, don't you know, like if prices going down are are great. If you don't have a house, <laughs> like, you know, uh, it, it, but it's again, it's a kind of like the oil price thing. It's not as simple a picture as you might think with oil. I'll say one thing and then we, we, we're going to so we'll, we'll end yeah, this yeah, conversation. Well. I'm just going to say, by and large, oil is complicated. It complicates the picture for the central banks who are making de- decisions on monetary policy and, you know, regarding in- inflation and deflation. However, you know, if you're t- like on the whole. You know the pullback in oil prices is good for, you know, uh, unless you're an oil producer, good for the you know your economy because it is going to be. You know, Citigroup is out with a note saying it's going to be a one trillion dollar basically add to the you know the global economy because you know it's good for commodity producers who use oil to make more commodities. So it will it, filter through the economy and be a generally I think a good thing. Um, now, oh, no, I, I want to make I want to make uh, some predictions before we wait before wait, we, wait wait wait. Well, about what? I, I, I want to say that this pullback, in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be looking back at this pullback and saying it was just another one of those minor blips that got past it. Okay, there was some intraday trading, but uh, intraday volatility, but we're going to look back and say it was just your regular one, run-of-the-mill pullback. I'm going to call it now November and December, seasonally strong months for the market. Stocks are going to rebound back at record highs in, we'll call it middle of November to end of November, finish high up 5 10% for the year. Boy, does he sound like a sell side guy. <laughs> uh, I, I will say that it all depends on what the central banks do. I think it's going to be. I think it all depends on what the central. I don't think you can make a prediction w- without taking into account what the central banks do. And if the Fed reneges, goes back on its QE3 ending thing, or if the ECB comes through with something, then I think you're probably right. If, if they don't, I think this is a problem. Now, um, I, I generally agree to some. Uh, I'm, I'm not as bullish as Steve, but I generally I lean probably toward that direction. And I, I do think there's going to be a lot more volatility. Just and uh, that's well, I'm that's saying, a fair point. I, I, yeah. I'm saying something that I think everybody's like, no duh. But um, <laughs> now getting back to we we brought poor Sarah on to we talk about that. banks, and she's had to deal listen to us for. Well, Sarah, this has been entertaining, right? Yeah. This is kind of fun. Never a dull moment with yeah. you guys. Yeah, yeah no, because she doesn't hear enough of this uh, uh, every day sitting right, next right. to us. <laughs> Um, so uh, the real question is volatility. We've been talking about volatility has made the markets more exciting, but it's also been a pretty good thing for the banks. And we saw that sort of show up in their third quarter results after. Yeah, definitely. I mean, against the backdrop of the sort of markets having a moment this week, um, you did have the big U.S. banks reporting a fairly positive set of results. You had uh, Morgan Stanley profits up 83 percent, J.P. Morgan returning to profit, Goldman Sachs profits up 48 percent. So it was a very sort of strong earnings season. But one of the drivers of that was their fixed income businesses. And that was something that benefited hugely from a late stage uptick in volatility in September. Now, you could argue that there's sort of a sweet spot to be 
found that perhaps what we've had in the last couple of weeks has been maybe too much, um, that there's some middle ground between the nothing of August and the you know, sort of flurry now. Um, but, but yes, broadly, they, they benefited from that in the third quarter. Well, who was uh, who were the sort of like you know I guess some of the top performers or who had like you know good a good third quarter. Yeah, I mean Morgan Stanley reported this morning and they were definitely one of the winners. Um, they had strong revenues across fixed income, their wealth management business, um, investment banking broadly. Um, Goldman Sachs was another one. Um, but one thing to keep in mind, I would say, is that a third quarter a year ago things were not quite as sunny and it was a, a particularly challenging business uh, or time for fixed income businesses. So for Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, you were coming off of a, a lower base. Um, so yes, while things were, were improved, you have to sort of keep it relative to where we were a year ago. How is um, how you know how is like basically Morgan Stanley? You know, I mean, James Gorman seems to be his his plan for the bank seems to be working in terms of wealth management and all that. Um, you know, how how did how did wealth management do for the bank? Wealth management um, revenues were up there as well. It was another strong performer. I think he likened it to sort of partway through a long cricket match. Somebody, an analyst, asked him during the call, um, sort of to put it in baseball terms, or asked um, CFO Ruth Porat to put it in baseball terms, and he sort of interjected and said, you know, it's a longer game. It's more like a cricket match, and we're in sort of tea time partway through, you know, an initial stage of it. So. Um, forgive me for my poor cricket knowledge, but he's basically, you know, sort of reiterating the fact that it's a longer game, that we're partway there, but there's still a lot of work to do. What a, What is their sort of outlook, um, you know, getting back to our market conversation, too? Um, like, what's their outlook now for the fourth quarter, uh, rest of the year, um, you know, the volatility that hit the market? Are they concerned? Are they, you know, that, um, uh, you know, that the global economy, about the global sort of slowdown? Mm-hmm. There was definitely an acknowledgement from the executives across most of the banks, actually, that obviously we're in an uncertain period. There are some healthcare concerns with Ebola. There's stock market volatility. Um, but a, a resounding sort of theme was a, a don't panic type message. Um, Ruth Porat said just this morning, you know, we've been here before. We've seen these spikes in volatility. We get back to a normal place. Harvey Schwartz at Goldman Sachs said a similar thing that he talked to their economists and the sort of consensus was we're not making any sort of drastic changes to our global forecast, you know, after a couple of, you know, sort of choppier weeks, I think was the choppy was the word that came up most frequently in relation to what we've seen so far in the fourth quarter. It seemed it seemed to me, you know, just looking at the, the you know, the bank results and, the, you know, the numbers and stuff like that, that this is, uh, you know, there's none of the drama that is sort of like we've seen in the last seven years with, uh, you know, with the banks. I mean, the, you know, J.P. Morgan, like, it was like a year ago, was had the huge legal uh, you know, charge. There was nothing that these were just sort of solid. We're getting more boring now. Yeah. <laughs> boring which, now. which I think Paul would agree with me when I say this is what you sort of like from your banks. You like, want to boring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You boring, wanna, you stay know, boring, yeah. solid. You know, it depends on what you doing, know. Doing good things with your money depends on what you're doing. You know, yeah. you're looking for alpha or beta. I mean, it depends. Yeah, it's sort know. of a slow and steady. Wins the race. I mean, you did have a strong um, sort of period for IPO underwriting. The Alibaba fees um, showed up in a, a number of the big banks' earnings. So that, that sort of uptick in activity in the equity markets, you know, was definitely positive for some of those units. And I think, you know, uh, as we go forward, I think that that maybe boring is what we should come to <laughs> expect a bit more than what we've had in the past. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to say like something about Alibaba because Steve has been going on about this all week. But the Alibaba top, Alibaba top, it really was. <laughs> 
I eight didn't minutes buy it. I yeah. did not buy it at all. But Alibaba was basically proved to be the top in the stock market. So, so yeah, let, let's just recap this for a second. The the market on a the S and P five hundred on a closing basis hit a record high on September eighteenth. That's and the point total was twenty eleven point thirty six. That's the closing record high for the S and P. The very next day was Friday, September nineteenth. That's the day that Alibaba uh, started trading uh, on the NYSE and. The S&P 500 rose at the opening bell and was up for eight minutes. It hit a high of, I think, 2019 intraday, something yeah. like that. Uh, and then it and then it fell and finished the day in negative territory. Uh, Alibaba had the big run-up, but th- that's another story. But anyway, people are calling this the Alibaba top because now the market has, hasn't come anywhere close to that level since then. November, December might be a different story, but for now, at least, it hasn't has not hit that level. You yet. Heard it here first, right? Steve? Heard it here first. <laughs> so you're talking about the Alibaba top, but you don't really believe it. No, no. I mean, it's it, it is right now. It is a thing. Right. It's well, been yeah. a thing for right. a month, but no, I don't think it's going to be a long last. I don't think we're going to be talking about the Alibaba top for years and years on end. Uh, right. I think we might be talking for a few more days, and then. Uh, it, it like it, it lacked like you know we were talking about this like because Blackstone in two thousand seven you know like but Blackstone was representative of so much about what it's, that market it was, was really an interesting analogy and it's a uh, uh, I mean certainly there's similarities and differences between the two but um but yeah I mean talk I mean th- th- but about Blackstone is like yeah. Blackstone actually went in July of two thousand seven um, or end of June I should say actually um, two thousand seven the market topped out in October two thousand seven the real thing was why people say it was you know it was that when the M and A market basically in those quarters and the LBO boom was at its very peak and all of a sudden you just saw Blackstone, you know, basically the owners of Blackstone cash out. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I think that's why it's known. So it's a different sort of reason in reality, but it is interesting. Yeah, interesting in the sense that I mean, Alibaba, the biggest IPO of all time, right? Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so it's twenty five billion dollars. Twenty five billion, raised. a huge, huge tech company. So and you know, tech stocks have obviously this whole Web two point social media boom. So who knows? Probably yeah. not the same. Uh, probably won't have the same ramifications, but um, still an interesting comparison nonetheless. I think it's you know good place to end it now. Um, you know, too bad Holmes not here to talk about the Giants, his, San Francisco San Giants, San Francisco Giants. Giants. San Francisco yeah. Giants. Congratulations to them. Congratulations. It's going to be a fun series, Giants Royals. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's two yeah. weird, gangly, untraditional <laughs> teams. Yeah. What are the ratings? What do you think the ratings are going to be on this World Series? Ooh, low. (laughs) I don't know, though. Kansas City is a really good story. (laughs) San Francisco is a big market. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't yeah, know. It's going to be interesting. Probably not good. Yeah. Uh, probably would have been better if you had like a I'm Orioles saying, I, Nationals would have yeah. been a lot better or like a No? Baltimore DC? I guess no? some of us are not the Beltway fans. Uh, the yeah, Bel- well, the Beltway yeah, like, series? Yeah, no? but the Beltway series, you know, like, you know, both markets are the same market, essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. No, yeah, it's, it will be. I, th- I, I do think, like, you know, you wonder if the, the executives in b- baseball were hoping for. Uh, you know, Dodgers. Uh, oh yeah, they, wanted, they wanted the Dodgers. Yeah. The Dodgers and anybody they yeah. want, they wanted LA. You know? yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been Steve Grosser for Sarah Krause, Paul Avenia, and Steve Russell. And now this: by 2025, it's estimated that half the world's population will lack access to safe drinking water. A sorry state of affairs, as two thirds of our planet is covered by water. We are helping develop solutions for salt water to satisfy the thirst of future generations.
PASF, the chemical company. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.